So how would you describe God if someone were to ask you, what's God like? And I'm not referring to his looks, but his attributes, his character, his temperament. How would you describe God? Where, where do you naturally go when something happens and you think it's from God and you're thinking everything you interpret goes through that lens? Now, as you think about that, sadly, a lot of our view of God comes from our, heavenly, or our earthly fathers. Our view of our heavenly fathers comes from our earthly fathers. And why do I say sadly? I'm not really talking about my dad. I'm talking about myself. Uh, this week, as I was writing this message about how we as fathers reflect or should reflect to our children and to our family what the Heavenly Father looks like. Uh, we were working on my daughter's PA application with her, and I was tired and exhausted from vacationing. I know you feel sorry for me, but uh, you know how it is. You come back and you're just like, I need a vacation from vacation. But I was convinced that everyone else in the house was the problem, not me. And so as we worked on things, I was irritable and short-tempered and Unfortunately, that's not a clear picture of what our God is like. But the good news is we as sinners can still teach our children what our Heavenly Father is like when we explain how we've sinned. And so I went to them and said, hey, y'all, that's not what God is like at all. So what is your view of God? Is he he irritable, mean-spirited, quick-tempered, quick to get angry and lash out at you? And so as soon as something bad happens or something doesn't go right, you're like, okay, God's mad at me. Or do you have a more biblical view of God, which is he is patient, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is kind, he absolutely loves you like you could never imagine how much he loves you. That is what God is like. And this week in particular, we're going to look at one attribute of God in this text that is repeated over and over, and is God is rich in mercy. God is merciful. He loves you, and his, his very character is mercy. In this text, we see it mentioned five times mercy is mentioned. In Luke chapter 1, verse 50, we see Mary is singing her song last week. He says, and she says, God's mercy is for those who worship him from generation to generation. This is what's bubbling out of her heart as she had her encounter with God. And then again in verse 54, her song, Mary sings, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He's helped Israel. And this week in verse 58, Zechariah and Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives They heard of what God had done, that God had shown great mercy to her in giving her the son, John, John, to be born. In verse 72 this week, we see Zechariah proclaims in his prophecy that God's salvation was to show the mercy promised to our fathers. That's why, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And then in verse 78, finally we see, we see salvation is because of what? The tender mercy of God. That's what God is like. Mercy, 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 mercy. His tender mercy. That's what the first two chapters of this gospel that, that says, here is Jesus, here is God in flesh. What is he is like? He is all about mercy. God is rich 
in mercy. And my prayer is that today, if you've had a skewed view of God, that today will help you erase that view and know that God is rich in mercy. But what is mercy? Well, Erdman's dictionary, dictionary defines it as the compassionate disposition to forgive someone. Their disposition, a compassionate disposition, their default mode is to forgive someone or to offer aid, assistance, or help to someone when they're in need. Is that, is that your view of God? That he has a compassionate disposition towards you to forgive you and to reach out and help you, to pursue you, to help you when you are in need. That is the biblical picture of God. That's the right picture of God. Dads are, are to be a help in knowing what God's like, but the surest way to know what God's like is to study him in his word where he has chosen to reveal himself. And so know that God is rich in mercy towards you. His default position is to forgive and to help when you are suffering and when you are in need of aid. He's not mean-spirited. He's not out to get you. He's not just waiting for you to mess up so he can slap you down. He is rich in mercy. When we see in the Gospels, Jesus' life is captured on the pages for us, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. You want to know God, look at Jesus, and Jesus was merciful. For example, Luke will record in chapter 17 when the, the lepers cried out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He stopped everything, and he healed the lepers when all else cast them away. That's what God's like. We'll see that God is like the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son in the, in the parable where the son rebelled and, and foolishly wasted his inheritance and found himself in a pig's sty. And how did the father treat him? With grace and with mercy. He received him, forgave him, and threw a party because they were reconciled once again. That's what God's like. God is merciful, and I want you to know God that way. And so my prayer today is that whatever you've thought before, I want you to know that God is rich in mercy. Father, would you help us do that this morning? Would you help us know your mercy? And as we look at your mercy throughout this text, may we also see the response, the proper response to, to beholding your mercy is praise and rejoicing and worship and bringing glory to your name. Help us be a people who are known as a people who rejoice in the mercies of God that are found fully through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 52, all the way through chapter 2, verse 20, which means we're going to have Christmas in August. We get to the birth of Jesus. And so I hope you brought your presents. You can just lay my presents up here, and I'll open them when you leave. No, we're not going to have the Christmas message. I'm going to save that for December, but we will cover all the way to verse 20, and I'll give some mention to those texts. But first, let's look at God's, God's mercy in suffering. Does that point catch you a little funny. God's mercy in suffering. Do you immediately go, well, that's not how I view suffering. In fact, that's the very reason 
I have a hard time believing that God's merciful. Well, let's look at these texts together. Verse 57 and following says this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. That's the response to mercy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, wait, what? None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted the name to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and then immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and he spoke blessing to God. And fear came on all their neighbors or worship or reverence. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, pondered them in their hearts, treasured them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Stop there. So let's review where we were last week. Jared did a great job of working through the two responses to God's word to them, God's good news or God's gospel proclamation to them. And there was two responses, one of belief and one in unbelief. And unbelief was Zechariah. And God said, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. He had a lot to say to God. That's not going to happen. We've tried that. That dream is dead. I'm old and she's of, of, of old age or oh, she's advanced in years. And this ain't going to happen. And God said, all right, close your mouth. You obviously don't know me. And so God tied his tongue and apparently made him deaf as well because there's a lot of sign language going on. And so he was suffering as a result of this unbelief that he had in God's promise, God's good news proclamation. And God said, now when you have this son, because it's going to happen, you will name him John. And see, this was all fulfillment of prophecy. God was working from ancient of days. He's working all these years for this day of this promised prophet who would come and prepare the way for the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And his name is John the Baptist. And so nine months have progressed, and we see this whole funny name thing going down. The ladies come up. She's had her baby. Yay! You must have drinking the water at Norris Ferry Church because you've got Brandon, you've got a baby, and Rebecca's come, and that's what we do here. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them. But they, they say, okay, well, what are you going to name him? Zechariah number 23? No, John. What are you talking about, John? What kind of name is John? We don't name our people John. His name is John. And they're like, ah, she's been under anesthesia. Let's go talk to the husband. Hey, Zechariah, we're going to name him Zechariah 23, right? That's what we do. He says, no. He gets a, gets a tablet, and he says in verse 63, they ask for a writing tablet, and he says, his name is John. And they're saying it with such clarity. There's no waffling. There's no wavering. They are very convicted now. I will obey the Lord. Now, why did he do that? Why do we all of a sudden see a Zechariah that's obeying the Lord in very clear convictions? God has spoken. I believe it. I will do what God said. What has happened? Verse 54, immediately upon his obedience, 
His mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Now what's gone down? What's the only thing we know that has happened? Zechariah suffered. Zechariah has gone through suffering and as a result, he has been transformed. Zechariah has learned obedience through suffering. And that's why we can say that suffering is a gift of God's mercy. Is it more gracious and merciful for God to allow you to go headlong into stubborn obedience, rolling off a cliff of destruction, or is it merciful for God to stop you in your tracks, close your mouth, stop talking about what you think you know, and let you get to know him? It's a gift of God's mercy to teach us and train us through suffering. For believers who have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, suffering is not penalty. It's not condemnation. It's training. It's teaching. It's that idea of discipline. It's not punishment out of anger. It's training and teaching through difficulties. And so we know that he has learned suffering through his, he has learned obedience through his suffering. And as a result, he is filled with praise of God. Verse 67, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is prophesying. And so what we know happened over nine months, Zechariah has been getting to know God. God promised, I'm going I'm to give you a child. Zechariah says, I don't think so. His tongue was tied, his mouth was shut. His ears were closed, and for nine months, he had to sit there and ponder deeply the Word of God. That's what suffering does for us. It draws us to our knees, knocks us off our self-reliance, draws us to the Word of God where we ponder deeply the character of God. Is God trustworthy? Is God's word true? And as Zechariah heard the word of God, you will have a child. He had nine months to just sit there quietly and watch the baby develop in his mother's belly, in his wife's belly, and watch his wife's belly beautifully grow bigger. And he's just like, wow, God is true to his word. And so it's a beautiful picture of Zechariah getting to know the character of God, watching God prove himself through this season of suffering. And he learned, I believe God, therefore I will obey God and I will praise God with my lips. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We hear God's beautiful voice more clearly when we are suffering. God wants to use whatever suffering you're going through to help you know him, to help you see him accurately as loving, as gracious, not to make it all about my family, but my wife is sending her kids 
off to college and to get married. And you have never seen a greater picture of love for a child. She loves them so dearly. But let me just tell you something that that nothing compared to God's love for you. It is glorious. God has a compassionate disposition towards you. His default position is to forgive you and to bless you and help you in your time of need. So we need to realize that when we're going through suffering, it will either make you better or make you bitter. Is suffering going to make you better or is it going to make you bitter? That's, that's a clear choice that you see. There are two results of people going through suffering. It either makes them better or it makes them bitter. And you can see this pictured most clearly in senior adults. Because life long lived will be filled with suffering. And by the time you're a senior adult and you're in the last season of life, if you have been through suffering and it has humbled you and you have grown close to the Lord through all the various sufferings of losing a loved one, of going through cancer or, or of going through tragedy or, or whatever the suffering may be, if it has drawn you to the Lord to know him, to hear his voice, to see him like you've never seen him before, then it will make you a glorious person. But if in all those sufferings that's just put on a layer and layer of resentment and anger and hurt and pain because you doubt the love of God, then you have seen some bitter senior adults, and it is not a pretty sight. Which one are you? Do you know the love and mercy of God in such a way that when you go through suffering, it makes you better. That's what we want to be. We want to be better for it. So God's mercy is seen in suffering. We also see in this text God's mercy is in salvation. We see his mercy in salvation. Of course, the greatest gift of mercy or the greatest expression of mercy is salvation. Look at verse 67. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up the horn of salvation. So he's speaking of Jesus, the son that is coming. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, fulfilled prophecy. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, and that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Why? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Do you see what he does? God speaking through Zechariah in these verses, the prophecy of Zechariah frames all that God has been doing, his acts of redemption, his redemptive history, the, the story of your Bible. He frames it in this context of mercy. 
He's saying, what did God promise to Abraham? Mercy, to be merciful to his people. Why did he do this? To show his mercy. In mercy, he promised there would be the son of Abraham. In mercy, he said there would be a son of David. In mercy, he sent Jesus. It's all about mercy. That's what the gift of salvation is. It is a gift from the merciful character of God. He offers salvation by grace. I think we get the grace part, but I think we sometimes miss the mercy part. Mercy is his character from which flows his grace. So what a glorious picture of salvation. It's from mercy. It's mercy from start to finish. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. That's why he said Jesus, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. In verse 74 through 75, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Wow, what a gift of mercy. I'm going to save you so that you can serve me without fear in the holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now that is merciful. This week, if you saw the story of the lady, the grandmother, who was pardoned by the president, and she was just rejoicing that she could be with her grandkids. After so many years of being in prison, she had been pardoned, forgiven, and released, and the natural response was praise and rejoicing. That's what happens when we understand that salvation is a gift of grace based on the mercies of God. All of salvation is about mercy. We as sinners have rebelled against our ancient of days, our creator, and we've gone to the other side. We have broken his law. We have rebelled against his character. We've refused to serve the glorious king who created us, and we've gone to serve Satan, his enemy. It's like an American citizen going and serving in China against our own country, and we are all appalled by this, and if that person is captured, they must meet justice and the justice of a traitor is death. That's who we are. We're all traitors against our creator. And we went to his enemy to, to serve him. And what does God do? He says, I'm offering Jesus to forgive you. And if you are Receiving Jesus, I've done this so that you might serve me without fear. I don't want you to fear me, the Lord says. That's crazy. Why would he do that? Because he's merciful. Salvation is all about mercy. Romans eleven thirty two. 32, Paul says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Ephesians 2, 4, a familiar passage, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved because he is rich in mercy. I also want you to notice Zechariah is a picture of an evangelist. A picture of what we should understand when I say, go and share, go and evangelize, go and tell others about your Savior. Zechariah is a picture of that. What happened? Zechariah heard the good news, the gospel, and it took a while through sufferings, but ultimately he came to believe the gospel, and he obeyed, and then he rejoiced and prophesied of the goodness and the blessings of God. He is a herald. 
He's not a salesman. Being an evangelist is not being a salesman and convincing people. It's saying, let me herald the good news of what God has done in his mercy through Christ. And that's what we see over and over. Mercy, once they grasp it, they herald, they proclaim, they rejoice. Zechariah is a beautiful picture of what God wants us to do. He wants us to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe it, to receive it, and then to rejoice and proclaim, God is merciful. Do you know what he's done for you in Christ? And then the person has to respond. Is this the way you view your salvation? As an act of God's mercy? If you add any element of works into the formula, then you think you deserve some aspect of your salvation, and that minimizes your understanding of the mercy of God, and that reduces your rejoicing in him, and that reduces the glory to him, and that reduces your evangelism. You see how that works? It's all grace that's flowing from the mercy of God. And that's your message. And that should be your hope. That when you know you've rebelled against God and you're convicted of your sin, your one response should be, but God, but God is rich in mercy. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. His disposition towards me is one of forgiving me. And so I embrace his gift of forgiveness and mercy in Jesus Christ. Praise God, I am cleansed. Praise God, he is merciful And let me rejoice and bring glory to him with my life. But you got to know, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be pardoned. You don't deserve to, to worship him and serve him without fear. You don't deserve to be declared righteous by God because of Jesus' righteousness. You don't deserve any of it. And I don't either. And the more we understand that, the more we rejoice And the more we serve him without fear. And that's what he wants. He says, I did this so that you will serve me without fear all the days of your life. So God's mercy in suffering, we've seen God's mercy in salvation. Finally, we see God's mercy in his sending. God's mercy in sending. We see three sendings that he's done in this text. We see he sends John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. He sends Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And in this text, we see he sends the angels to declare to the shepherds that Jesus has arrived. Now, let's work through these God's mercy in sending. In verse 76, Zechariah prophesies, a new child, talking about John, a new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. You're not the Most High, but you're the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow, what a beautiful imagery of mercy. A a people sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death. And what does God Almighty do to those who are sitting in what they deserve? They're in the, the pig's 
staunch and pit they brought upon themselves. They're in prison because of the crimes they committed. They're, they're under the, the death penalty of the Justice Department because they, they have been a traitor and betrayed their country. They have sinned against the ancient of days. And what does this God do with them? He shines a light so that they can see salvation in Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? What motivates him to send John the Baptist to these Pharisees who are hating Jesus, who are about to crucify Jesus, and he sends John the Baptist to make salvation known to them, to prepare them. Hey, Jesus, behold, when Jesus walks up and John the Baptist will see, says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, a warning to them that they may not perish, but God, in his mercy, sends a predecessor, another one after all the prophets of the Old Testament scriptures. Why does he do this? Because his disposition toward us is one of compassion, eager to forgive and help us in our time of need because of his tender mercy. Have you ever stopped and thought about all the people that God has sent into your life to prepare you for salvation? Was it your parents? News alert, we didn't choose our parents. God graciously gave you a mom and dad that taught you the word of God, if that's the case. Or maybe it was a friend, neighborhood friend. You ran around until mom turned the porch light on. Does that happen anymore? That's how I grew up. Until mom turned the porch light on and I had to get home. And that neighborhood friend said, hey, you want to go to church camp with me? And then you go and then you hear the gospel and God opens your heart and you believe and you are saved. Or maybe it's like, my wife's ex, uh, ex-boyfriend, jerk. No, I'm just kidding. He said to her one day, what do you think about Jesus? And that led to her salvation. Or maybe it's like probably about 70% of you men, you saw a woman that caught your attention and she said, if you want to know me, you're going to have to go to church. And I praise God for those women. Because that's about 70% of man came to church following a, following a woman he wanted to get to know. And God used that to bring you to the Lord. God has sent the word of God to you. God has sent you people. God has sent you suffering. God has used, maybe that's it. Maybe you've gone through a tragedy, but at the end of that tragedy, you came to know Jesus. Praise God for his mercies. And of course, the greatest mercy of all is seen in the fact that God sent his own son to save us. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see the birth of Christ that we'll look again in December. But in that text, you see the decree of, of Caesar, a census will be taken. God's orchestrating all of this to get them to Bethlehem to fulfill his prophecies. God sent Jesus to die for your sins. In verses 8 through 17, angels come to the lowliest of lowliest of people in the fields. They're sitting literally shepherds in the dark, in the shadows of death, and God sent angels to herald or proclaim the good news to them. 
that a Savior is born and he's wrapped in cloths. But at that point, those shepherds were just like us, and they were faced with a moment of decision. What do you do with that message? What do you do with that herald, that proclamation of the gospel, of the good news that God has sent his son to save you from your sins? What do you do with that message? You must choose to believe or disbelieve, to be better or to be bitter, to be saved or to be condemned. What did the shepherds choose? Look at verse 15, chapter 2. When the angels went away from the shepherds, went off into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let's seek out Jesus, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, just like God said. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. An angel told us this child is the savior of the world. They believed. They heard the message. They sought out Christ. They believed. They received him. And then they proclaimed him as others heard him. We see in verse 18 that the shepherds are heralding the message that was heralded to them. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then look at this beautiful verse in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. What have we heard in this text? What have we seen in this text? And what should be our response? We have heard that God has a compassionate disposition towards us, towards you. He wants to forgive you. His default position, he's inclined to forgive you. In fact, he's so inclined to do so that he sent people into your lives to prepare you for this message. He's brought you here today. He has given you the word of God to investigate for yourself. He has prepared you for this proclamation that God will save you from your sins by faith in Jesus Christ. What will you do with this? Will you receive it and be better for it and receive eternal life and righteousness and forgiveness so that you can serve him without fear all the days of your life? And will you be a herald of this salvation to others? Or will you reject it And will you become bitter and hardened and resentful and live under condemnation all the days of your life and fear him? He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins because he loves you. And he did that so that you might serve him. Look at verse 75. So that you might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Treasure up these things in your heart. Ponder them in your heart so that you may leave this place glorifying and praising God all the days of your life.